0: Take your Bible, if you will, this morning and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And many of you know that we began a new study a few weeks ago on the life of David, the life of King David. And we looked at Saul. And you know, Saul was a man who was a lot like many people today, he wanted the blessing of God. He wanted the approval of God. He wanted God to make a way for him and to fight for him. But what he didn't want from God was God's commands. And God to tell him how to live and and the things that he should do. And we know that Saul rejected God's command and disobeyed God's command... And so the Lord sent word from Samuel, through Samuel, to Saul that he was rejecting him from being king over Israel. And then we saw last week as Ann shared how that God chose the sovereignty of God in His sovereignty. He chose a new king and that king was not a man that you and I perhaps would have chosen. As a matter of fact, he wasn't really a man. He was a boy. He was still a young boy tending his father's sheep and and how that uh, Samuel was sent to anoint David as king and and he looked over the eldest and the ones that would outwardly appear to be a good king and and God chose david and now in we begin in verse seven or chapter seventeen and in the latter part of chapter sixteen, just to bring you up to speed, David went back to tending his father's sheep, and the Bible says that the Lord removed his spirit from Saul, that God withdrew his spirit. Remember, I shared with you last week that in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant... That God's Spirit did not dwell in the hearts of men and women. Remember, that was a prophecy from Jeremiah, that there was going to come a day when they would not be taught the law of God, but that God would put His law and His Spirit within the heart of man. And that's the new covenant. You know, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and when you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And He fills us. But in the Old Testament, God would send His Spirit upon a person for a specific task. And He had placed His Spirit upon Saul. If you'll remember, Saul even prophesied when Samuel anointed Him. But now Saul was rejecting God. And we see that God removed His Spirit from Saul. And the Bible says that a distressing spirit came upon Saul. And and Saul became very depressed and very melancholy and and he was a very troubled man emotionally and mentally, and you know music is great. Now music can be used for both bad and good. there 's something about music that really affects us deep down, and we know in chapter 16 that Saul wanted someone to play music. You know, there were no podcasts, nobody had an iPhone, you know no earbuds. you know mm-hmm. listen to your favorite music, but you know yourself. If you're feeling down or you're kind of feeling, you you might try to put on a certain kind of music that you like and it maybe makes you feel better or music reminds us of things and reminds us, well, I don't need to go down this path very far, but, you know, every couple has a favorite song, right? You know, I'm always talking about the 70s. I'm stuck in the 70s, as y'all know. But uh, what was that song in the 70s? Don't play, please, Mr. Please, don't play B-17, you know? You know, back in those days, you didn't have iPods, and you, you, know, you had the little jukebox things that you'd press B-17, and uh, anyway, it's just one of those old country songs nobody remembers. It was my song, it was our song, now it's over, you know, and songs remind you of events, they remind you sometimes of people, and, and so Saul wanted some music, and you remember David was a musician. He wrote many of those psalms. And, and so they found David and they said, Hey, we'll bring this young man to you and he will play for you. So Saul, not knowing that God had chosen David to be the next king, again we see the sovereignty of God at work then God causes Saul to choose or Saul's servants to choose David and David is brought to the palace and, and David when Saul is disturbed and, and and in that melancholy mood, he will call for David and David will play the harp and, and then he'll go back and he'll work in the sheep. And so he's back into back into to the palace. So that's the setting for chapter seventeen. And we all know what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you've ever been to Sunday school, it's probably one of the first stories you ever hear in Sunday school. It's David and Goliath. And what I've titled the message this morning is Facing Your Giant. Facing Your Giant. You know, all the things in the Old Testament are written for our instruction, written for our education to learn how to serve God and to honor Him. And so here in this wonderful old, old story of little young David, the teenage boy, facing this monstrous man, Goliath. There are so many truths that you and I can learn, and I hope that we will learn them this morning. Well, let's first of all be introduced to the giant himself. And we find in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4, says a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. And he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come up to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine... They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now there's some old Hebrew me- measurements there, and, and they don't, you can't put them in your, you know, your, your little calculator and get an exact measurement because uh, cubits and shekels were measured in different ways by different people. But, but scholars have, have learned, and you can get an approximate estimation of exactly what uh, Goliath looked like. Basically, he was about nine foot, nine inches tall, give or take a few. All right, I'm 6'1", so just add about three and a half foot to me. All right, he was a huge man, nine foot, nine nine inches tall. Probably his armor that he wore weighed about 125 pounds. You know, that's just his chain mail that he wore on his chest. His spear was about 15 pounds. Just the just the metal end on the end of his, not counting the wooden part, Just the just the iron spearhead was about 15 pounds. So what that translates into is certain death for anybody that decides, I'm going to fight this man face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat. The challenge that he issued, any normal-sized man with a sword and a spear and a shield, which is how you were going to fight him, you just you know, get your stuff in order because you're going to meet your maker pretty quick if you go out to meet this man. So here comes Goliath. And he issues, which was common in the ancient days, and, and uh, where one side would pick a champion and the other side would pick a champion. And those two champions would meet together and, and rather than everybody getting killed, let's just let our champions meet and, and, and whichever one wins, that's, that, that's who wins the day. And so here you have this great Goliath and here he is issuing a challenge to the people of Israel. Now, of course, David's not there, not there in battle. He's not with the soldiers. He's too young. But before we move on to David, I, I, of course, we want to move this forward to you and I today. And, and there's no Goliath, no Philistine in the flesh facing us, but we know we all face obstacles. You know, some of us, it is anxiety. Maybe anxiety is your Goliath. You're just fearful. You're fearful about everything. It doesn't have to be any particular thing that you're fearful of. You're just fearful. Everything scares you, and anxiety or fear or depression or lust or bitterness, even hatred towards someone. And that is how you live and that is what you wrestle every day and, and you feel just as a normal man would look at Goliath and say, uh, there's no way, I cannot beat this, it's too big for me. You look at your Goliath, your giant, whatever it might be that you're facing, something you cannot move past and, and you look at it and it terrifies you and you say, I, I just I can't do it. I I can't overcome this. I just cannot do it. Well, one of the wonderful... This is not just a lesson about people thousands of years ago on a battlefield. This is a lesson for you and I today. If you believe the Bible is the Word of God and inspired by the Holy Spirit, then this story about David and Goliath is for me. And it's for you. It is to help me and to help you to overcome the giant, the Goliath that we face in our life, whatever it might be. It might be a marital problem. You might say, you know we just can't get along you know I, I don't love her anymore i don't love him anymore maybe that's your Goliath i don't know what it is but i know that everybody here has a Goliath i have them you have them and i want you to take a moment this morning and let's look at well, how did david how did david face down his giant how did he defeat this mountain of a man well look there in verse number 20 chapter 17 verse 20 Now, we know first of all, in verse number 17, if you go back to verse 17, there was 40 days, the Bible says in verse 16, morning and night, that Goliath came forward. Now, everything has meaning in Scripture. And numbers mean something in Scripture. Uh, Does anybody remember what 40 symbolizes in the Bible? You know, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was in he fasted for 40 days so 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 40 symbolizes trial it symbolizes a period of tribulation and trial and here is Goliath for 40 days he comes out and he defies the people of Israel so it's like a great tribulation a trial that they're going through you know i mean what an embarrassment Think about it. You're a nation. you got your best men, all your army. They're out there arrayed in battle. And here comes this guy and says, come fight me. I dare you. Come fight me. Nobody moves. I mean, you know, you, you had to think about You know, you're all cowards. I mean, you, 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 you're whatever the... Insults were thousands of years ago in David. I don't know what the, the common insults were, but you can imagine. They were being hurled across the battlefield. You're nothing. You're not really men. Come fight me. I dare you. Nobody moves. Forty days. Forty nights. Can you imagine the morale of that army? It was, it was nothing. That They had no champion. Remember Saul, the Bible says, was head and shoulders above everybody. Well, he didn't move. I guess he was the closest to Goliath of anybody in Israel. He was supposed to be their great king, their great champion. He didn't move a muscle. And so they're going through this time of trial. And the Bible says in verse number 17, Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of the dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting. Well, they weren't really fighting. They were just sitting, basically. Sitting uh, with, against the Philistines. So verse 20. So David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array... Army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Now, I want to give you several things that you can be, and you and I can do and be, just like David. What did David do to defeat this giant? The first thing he did, and it's the first thing you and I must do if we're going to defeat our giant, I propose to you to follow David's footsteps, is to be faithful. Be faithful. What did David do? He's he's keeping the sheep. An unimportant task. A shepherd is nobody important. He's doing an unimportant task. His daddy says, listen, get up and take this food to your brothers who who are doing something really important. They're defending the country. They're out there putting their lives on the line and and you're just back here tending the sheep. But I want you to go support them and take them some food and and take their captain some food and, and find out what's going on. And so I like what it says, and David rose early in the morning. Well, he didn't have an alarm clock, but he arose early in the morning. He was faithful to be about whatever it was that he'd been given to do. You know, somebody says, boy, I wish somebody would give me something important to do. But I wish I had a job like they do. Boy, I wish I was important like they are. Well, what have you got to do right now? What is your job right now? My job's not important. Well, you should do it like it's important. If you want to be like David, if you want to defeat the giant, don't expect to do more than you've already been given to do if you can't do that that you have. The Bible says, Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. David was faithful as a shepherd. He was faithful as a lowly musician to the king. He was faithful as an errand boy. He woke up early in the morning. He went about his task. So let me tell you, if you want to defeat whatever giant you face, number one, do the things you've been given to do to the best of your ability. If it's cleaning toilets, don't let there be a spot on it. If it's sweeping, get up all the dust. Don't sweep it under the rug. Whatever it is that you've been given to do, do it like you're doing it for the Lord because the Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto The Lord. We're commanded to do whatever we do as unto the Lord. So number one, be faithful in what you have to do right now. Don't pine away about what you wish you could do. Don't pine away about all the important things that somebody ought to give you to do. But whatever it is that you are doing now, no matter how lowly it is, do it to the very best of your ability. That's what David did. David was doing the lowly job he had to the very best of his ability. Now notice verse 26. It says, David is there. It says, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, I believe for the first time we get a picture of the passion that lies in the heart of David. David was a man who had passion. And I would give that as as the second thing, if we want to follow David, a lot of words we could use, but I just thought I would use a very simple phrase, be fired up. Be fired up. And and David is stirred up. He's fired up. He listens to this Philistine, and and it, it causes him to burn on the inside. He said, now hold on just a minute. And he begins to ask questions. He says, Who is this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God? He said, listen to what he's saying. Who is this person? Who in the world is this guy? David is fired up. David is is angry. You say, well, that's not very Christian, is it? Well, remember, I'm very fond of saying when you wear your WWJD bracelet and you say, what would Jesus do? What have I often said? Always remember, that includes turning over tables and chasing people with a whip. Remember Jesus cleaning out the temple? Jesus was aroused. His anger was aroused and His righteous indignation came forth when He saw the house of prayer of His Father being used as a place of profit and and people prostituting, not their bodies, but prostituting the temple and using the temple for their own purposes, his anger was aroused. And he said, you've made my father's house, which should be a house of prayer, a den of thieves. And he he turned over the tables, and he he chased them out with a whip. It's not Bible, but my grandfather said it, so I'm going to share it with you because I've often remembered it. He said, a man that never gets angry is either a saint or not worth killing. (laughs) And I've often remembered that. If nothing ever bothers you, well, I wouldn't I'm going to change what my granddaddy said because it doesn't match up with the Bible because even the saints get angry. I'll just say, if you never get angry, you ain't worth killing. I mean, something ought to anger you. If you care about anything, if there's anything sacred to you, something ought to make you mad. If nothing makes you mad, then my friend, you need a checkup. You probably already did. Don't even know it. Jesus got angry. But now there's a difference. The Bible says be angry and do not sin. You see, God in His perfection can have just the right amount of, if you want to call it emotion, whatever you want to call it, the right amount of emotion and not go beyond. But we as frail humans, if we're not careful, our anger gets out of control. And it gets like, it's like a, you know, good passion, if you will, is like fire in a fireplace. It does a great job firing the stove. It, It cooks, it warms, but most of us, we get angry. It's like a wildfire. It just burns down everything. starts out good, but it burns the house down and, and the barn and everything else. But we should have a passion for what is right. Let me tell you, we're, this is in the news, but when you hear them talking about aborting babies right up to the point of birth, I mean, that, that, that ought to cause you to be stirred. That ought to create some passion in your heart. I mean, it's a slippery slope when people uh, begin to sin and and disobey God. There's a slippery slope. And there are things that should cause us to be passionate. The great apostle Paul, and then we'll move on over in Acts 17. It said, now Paul was waiting for them at Athens. His spirit was grieved and roused to anger as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned and argued in the synagogue with the Jews and those that worshiped there and in the marketplace day after day with any that claimed to be there. So here is Paul. Listen, David was faithful in the little things he was given, but David was also fired up. He had a heart that could be stirred to action by things that that stirred and fired him up, that angered him with a righteous indignation. Well, notice the third thing. Look there in verse 28. Now Eliab, the oldest brother, you remember him? He was the one that came first before Samuel and that Samuel thought to himself, surely this, this is the Lord's anointed. I mean, he looked at Eliab and we don't, have any, we don't know what Eliab looked like other than the fact that God said, look not as his statue or, or the way. So obviously he was an impressive man. And, and Samuel looked at him and thought, this has got to be, this has got to be the king. I mean, he looks like a king, but the Lord said, no, no, it's not him. So here he is, he's in the army, so he knows he, he's, he's a man's man, but yet he's been letting uh, the Philistine uh, shame him for 40 days. But anyway, he says, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused. Now he got angry too against David, but you see his anger is misplaced. David's anger is toward the Philistine. The true enemy. Eliab's anger, because I would propose, not I'm not a psychiatrist, but just read it, he should have been out there fighting the Philistine himself, but he's probably mad at himself, but his anger now is pointed toward David. And his anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I mean you're a shepherd, but my goodness, at least you'd have a big flock. You just got a little flock. Those few sheep. In the wilderness, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Well, boy, this is from you now. Th- listen, David hadn't he met Goliath yet? This is from his flesh and blood, talking to him about this is his older brother that's supposed to be looking out for him. He's just slapped him down and basically said, "My goodness, boy, let's just—if I could do the William Pope paraphrase." He said, boy, will you shut up? You don't know anything. You're just a little boy. Go back to the sheep. You don't know, you're not, a, you, don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know nothing. That's the Atkinson County. You don't know anything. You don't know anything about fighting the battle. Go back home. My goodness. But what did David, now, if David would have been like most of us, he would say, Well, you, you know, you're You're, you're right. Boy, he just embarrassed me in front of everybody. Here I am, come out to see, you know, come out to the battle. And here's this, my older brother and, 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 you know, he's, everybody looks up to him and, and, uh, boy, he just slapped me down in the worst way. I just need to go home. But what did David say? David said, if I can find it, he said, then, then David said, uh, verse 29, what have I, what have I done Now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing and those people answered him as the first ones did. You see, the third thing I would give you is be tough. If you are going to fight the battle that you have to fight, you're going to be sometimes castigated, sometimes you're going to be insulted as David was. And David had aroused bitterness and resentment in his brothers. And the Bible in Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Hebrews ten thirty five says, Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Luke 18, Jesus said, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Don't quit. If you're going to defeat your giant, yes, you have to be faithful and and yes, you have to be fired up and and have a great desire to defeat your giant, but you also have to be willing to keep going, to be tough, not to be easily deterred from your ultimate task. You remember Paul just a few weeks ago when he was on the island of Malta and, and we talked about that and that snake bit him and, and, and he didn't, you know... Sh- Begin screaming, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I just love the way the Bible says he shook it off. He shook the snake off into the fire. And in essence, that's what David did. His older brother, who should have been an encouragement to him, is, is slapping him down. And, and David could have went home and said, man, it hurt my feelings. You know, I'm just going to try to help. I came with pure intentions. But they've, you know, they've hurt my feelings and I'm, I'm going back home. I am going back to my sheep and they won't see me anymore. But it, it's amazing that David just basically just turned and asked the same. He just ignored what Eliad said. He says, I haven't done anything. I'm, I'm just trying to help out. And he just kind of turns and, and asks the same question to somebody else. So, don't quit. Do not quit. Did, did a wedding yesterday, and I, I always try to encourage the couple. From 1 Corinthians 13, one of the, uh, you know, one of the descriptions of love is that love never gives up love doesn't give up you know and if there's any any admonition if you forget everything else I, I, I say this morning remember do not give up if you're trying to walk the narrow way you're trying to do what is right you're trying to fight your giant I don't care how hopeless it seems don't quit do not quit well quickly moving on what did David do next look there in verse 31 chapter 17 verse 31. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, meaning Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Be willing. Be willing. You all know Isaiah 6, 8, where the prophet said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. David was willing to volunteer. He was willing to raise his hand and say, I'll go. Don't let this bother you, King Saul. I will go. If we put it in our modern way, he, he stood up to the plate. You know, when you play baseball, you, you, you go out there and you're on the on deck circle, but then it gets your turn to get, to get up there and to, and to give a swing at it. And you know, there's the batter's box. And the pitcher can't pitch until you step in the batter's box. It's really kind of a fateful decision every hitter makes. He stands there for a minute, and he's thinking about it. He's thinking about the pitcher. And then he makes that decision. He steps into the batter's box. Now the game is on. Now now the pitch is going to come, and, and, and he readies himself for the pitch. And, and, you know, so many folks in the Christian world are maybe facing our giant. We get in the on deck circle and we're all yeah I think I can do it I think I can do it. We get there to the plate and and we look there at the pitcher and say oh man he's tough he's really you know and and we and we just we throw our bat down we never get in the batter's box. I mean can you imagine a a batter just stood there you know the crowd eventually do something you know get in the box. And here the message is for us to be willing. Step into the box. You have to volunteer. You have to step out. And David says, I'm willing to put my life on the line. I will go forward. I will fight this Philistine. Well, notice verse 33. Of course, Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear... He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. The next thing is to be confident. But not in your own ability. See, Goliath was out there polishing his pride, talking about what he was going to do to people. David was flexing his faith. He was confident, not in his own ability, but he says, The Lord delivered me from the lion, and from the bear. And, and that's go back to what we said at the very beginning. Be faithful in the little things that you do. Do you know how you build faith to face the giant? If David had never been faithful in keeping the sheep and knew that his job was to protect the lambs from the wild beast, and when the wild beast came, if he had ran away, he would never have had the courage to face Goliath. But because he was faithful in protecting the sheep, and no, no audience to cheer, nobody to brag about it to. He's out there by himself, and a lion comes, and a bear comes, but he faces that danger, and with God's help, he overcomes the wild beast, and he rescues the lamb. Nobody pats him on the back. Nobody writes a song about him. You know what a great job he did. He's not on the ESPN special report. You know, he gets no accolades for anything that he did, but he was faithful in the place where nobody noticed, and then he's now facing the giant and he calls back those past victories. He said, I remember when the lion came. I remember when the bear came. And the Lord was faithful then and he will be faithful now. Be confident in the Lord. And let's move quickly on. I, I, matter of fact, before we do, I, I love this song, Having Faith in God. Some of you know this old, old hymn, Have Faith in God. I, I checked up a little bit on this old hymn. It was written in the early 30s by a Southern Baptist preacher, actually. He was out in Oklahoma and doing a a revival service. And and it was during the time of the Depression. And he just seen so many people who were struggling and having a difficult time. And these words came to him trying to encourage people to have faith in God. Some of you remember, have faith in God when your pathway is lonely. He sees and knows all the way you have trod. Never alone are the least of His children have faith in God, have faith in God. Have faith in God when your prayers are unanswered. Your earnest plea He will never forget. Wait on the Lord, trust His Word, and be patient. Have faith in God, He'll answer yet. Have faith in God in your pain and your sorrow. His heart is touched with your grief and despair. Cast all your cares and your burdens upon Him, and leave them there. Oh, leave them there. Have faith in God, though all else fail about you. Have faith in God, He provides for His own. He cannot fail, though all kingdoms shall perish. He rules, He reigns upon His throne. And the final chorus. Have faith in God, He's on His throne. Have faith in God, He watches o'er His own. He cannot fail, He must prevail. Have faith in God, have faith in God. How are you going to face your giant? Have faith in God. Be confident in Him. Well, quickly, what did David do next? Verse 38. Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. The next one is to be yourself. Boy, that had to be a sight. Remember, the Bible says Saul was head and shoulders above anyone in the land of Israel. David is a teenage boy. Can you imagine David trying on... I read one writer that said, you know, Saul was a 56 long and David was a 32 short. You know, and he, and he put it on and it just it just it wasn't going to work. You know, and, and and looked good on Saul. But... Saul wasn't going to wear it out there and face Goliath so Saul said hey I'll give it to David maybe he can do something with it but David said I I can't do it this is not who I am and I think this is a great mistake for anybody really but sometimes for preachers and people in ministry you know we look at somebody else and we say "Boy, "Boy, I wish I could be like them I wish I could sing like they do I wish I could preach like they do I wish I could teach like they do. Boy, I wish I had their personality, the way they just meet people. and or I wish I was smart as they are. I, boy, if, if I was like that, the things I could do. Boy, if I just... if I Think back, Paul. Lord, remove this thorn from me. If you take this thorn away from me, oh, the works I could do for you. And I, Paul didn't realize the very source of his strength was the grace that God was pouring out because of that thorn in his flesh. And David had to be who he was. David wasn't a warrior, he was a shepherd. He didn't kill the lion and the bear with a warrior's weapons, he killed them with a shepherd's weapons. And what had worked against past enemies must be the same thing that would work against Goliath. And so David says, I've got to be who I am. Saul, I'm not you. And God made you who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. Stop trying to look like somebody else. Stop trying to be somebody else. Just be who you are. Be who you are. That's okay to comb your hair and wash your face. That's good. (laughs) Try to improve yourself the best you can. And I'm not just talking about in a physical sense. I'm talking about in in our Christian walk. Look at other people and see how they do things. Well, that's good. We need to learn from other people and, and learn how people walk with the Lord. But you still have to be you. You can't be anybody else. Alright, notice what David did next. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, although David refused the king's armor, he could not be Saul. He was not a warrior by trade. He was a shepherd. Yet David did not fail to prepare. And that's the next thing David did. David did prepare. But he, he had to prepare based on who he was, not with Saul's chain mail and a shield and a sword, but he went down to the river and he got those five smooth stones that he knew how to put in his sling. and he got those that he picked just the right ones out that he knew would work well. So David prepared himself. And when you're facing trouble and you're facing a giant, whatever it might be, we need to prepare. You know what you're facing. I mean, if you're trying to graduate from school, my advice is pray, but you might want to study too. That's going to help. You know, you're trying to lose weight, pray, but stop eating. That'll help too. Prepare. You know, David didn't simply say, All right, Lord, you go kill that giant. Oh, you know what? I forgot my stones. I I, I didn't, I didn't get any stones. Well, the Lord will take care of it. No, David knew the weapon he had. And he knew what it took to operate that weapon. It was a sling and he got those smooth stones. And David went out. He did what he knew to do. Based on who he was, who God had made him to be, he prepared himself. Well, notice next, verse 41. And so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. By the way, we forgot to mention, not only was there Goliath, but he had a a shield man. Who coated his shield. So you had Goliath, who had that armor, and then he had another guy that all his only job was to hold that shield and to keep anybody from getting close to Goliath and, and keep that shield pointed. So Goliath comes with the shield man in front of him. In verse 42, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy, and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you." And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. Well, the last thing that you need to remember before you face your giant. You can have all the faith in the world. You can be prepared. You can have been faithful. You can do all the things that we've mentioned, be willing. But if you don't have the courage to face the giant, all of it is in vain. David was ready. David was ready, but the last thing he needed was the courage to walk out into the battlefield and actually face Goliath, and that he did. That he did, and you can tell from what David said His faith was not in himself, but his faith was in God. He says he had prepared, he had the stones, he had everything ready that he knew to do. He was going to do all he could do in his physical strength, but he knew that the ultimate victory, the ultimate battle was the Lord's. And that's why he said the battle is the Lord's. And I think about Isaiah 41.10 that says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I said the last thing, there is one more, I just want to give you hope, we were almost through. There's just one more, but it's very, very quick. It said, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Remember, David had said, I'm going to take your head from your body. Well, that's going to be hard to do with a sling and five small stones. David didn't have a sword. So, the last one is to be thorough. So what did David do? Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine. Now, of course, I missed the best part, right? That's where David you know, slung the stone and and it flew and it's already hit Goliath in the center of his head and and the stone has has killed him. He's, He's fallen down, dead with a stone in the middle of his head. And so, verse 51, he says that David ran and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell on the road to Sherem, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and took and plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and he put his armor in his tent. David finished the job. Cut off Goliath's head. You know, David didn't have a sword and a shield when the battle started, but he did when it finished. He got Goliath, He took Goliath's sword and he took his armor and and he took them back as a trophy of war. And he put them in his tent. So, who who will I be? And who will you be? We can be Saul who sat over nursing his fears. Saul was always scared of everything. Saul's just wringing his hands. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. But what are we going to do? Or we could be like David's older brother, Eliab. And, and what he did, he fed his jealousy. You know, he's jealous of everybody. Who, you know, my little brother trying to show me up. You know, I'm the oldest. I'm the one protecting the homeland. You know, go back home. You're making me look bad. Worried about his, his image and how he looked. Or you could be like Goliath. He just, as I said earlier, polishing his pride, all he was. he was. He was a great warrior and he knew it. Nobody was as good as he was. Or what about David? Maybe we can be like David. And we can flex our faith. That's how we face our giant. Flex our faith. Not your own confidence. Not your own pride. Not what you can do, but what can God do? Remember, it's not... Great faith in God you need when we talk about flexing faith. It is simply faith in a great God. Don't worry about the size of your faith. Don't worry about, well, I don't have enough faith. Just focus on the greatness of God. And take what little bit of faith you have, because everybody has a measure of faith God has promised. Take the little measure you've got and take that little bit of faith and put it in God's greatness. And focus on His strength and not your weakness. That's how you face your giant. That's how I can face my giant and defeat him. And you can face your giant focusing on the giant slayer who is not David, but it's God. It's God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the teaching of your word. For the story of young David, who in the tenderness of his heart, he was foolish enough to believe you and to trust in you. And God, I pray that we would take the lesson that we learned from this story. And God, we would apply it to the challenges that we're facing today in our life. Whatever it is that is defeating us today, the people here in this congregation and myself, whatever it is that is beating us down and and destroying our confidence in who you've called us to be, I pray, God, that like David, we will rise up. And we will rise up with faith in you and we will lift up our faith and we will destroy and face down our giant. In the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. There's one here today that you're calling by your Holy Spirit that does not know Jesus as Savior. I pray, God, you would draw them and and draw them to you. And Lord, I pray they would come to faith in Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing, if you're here this morning, maybe the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart and, and you want to come and you want to pray, or I'll be glad to pray with you. You just obey the Holy Spirit as we stand and sing.